This podcast is brought to you by Vinzero. Vinzero pioneers solutions and services to the AEC and manufacturing industries to support net zero targets. Visit vinzero.com to learn more about how organisations design, build and solve through digitalisation. From Vinzero to you, welcome to our Think Future podcast series. Each week we'll share conversations with industry leaders from around the world to find out how they're thinking future. Subscribe to Vinzero Think Future for access to more episodes, interviews and profiles. Jack Noonan serves the Asia-Pacific market as Vice President for the International World Building Institute based in Melbourne, Australia. Jack is a member of the International Society for Indoor Air Quality and the Green Building Council's Future Green Leaders Program and holds a bachelor's degree in science and psychology from Monash University, as well as a master of business focused on the commercialisation of science and emerging technology. In 2009, he was also the winner of the National Australia Bank Science in Business Award. Welcome to the program, Jack. Thanks so much for having me, Anthea. Great to be here. Jack, can you share with us a little on the role of IWBI for the ANZ region? Yeah, sure. Um, so uh, IWBI, or the International Well Building Institute, is a certification and advocacy body um, focused on people first places and putting the health of buildings on the agenda. We are an organisation that is headquartered out of New York City, but we have people uh, in, I think, about nine different countries at the moment, including here in Australia. So we've got a team uh, based out of Australia that really supports the growth of the organisation and this well movement across the Asia-Pacific region. Terrific. You've recently released a new program to support ESG. So what can you share about that? We at the International Wellbuilding Institute uh, are fundamentally uh, focused on improving the health and well-being outcomes of, uh, of people, community, uh, communities, uh, organisations um, globally. Uh, as part of that, we recognise the, the huge amount of interest around uh, ESG uh, at the moment. Um, and when we think about ESG, fundamentally what we're, what we're thinking about is using non-financial indicators for decision-making purposes. And environmental, social and governance indicators have been a really important part of that conversation, particularly over the last couple of years. This is something that the Australian market has really grasped as, as well as a concept. Um, the Australian market is, is, uh, is, is a market that has really led some of these ESG conversations for the better part of a decade, really. We use uh, a lot of the Australian market reports to a, a framework called the Global Real Estate Sustainability Benchmark, or GRESP that uh, many of your listeners uh, might be familiar with. Oceania, uh, as, as the region, has been the top-ranking region for the past 11 years around GRESP. So it's quite clear that we, that we as a region really uh, lead the conversation around ESG. So what IWBI and WELL is fundamentally looking to address through this ESG conversation is really focused on social sustainability, so the S of ESG. Over the last, I guess, decade, there's been a lot of attention on environmental sustainability or the E of ESG. And I think it's fair to say that we know what good looks like in relation to environmental sustainability. Now, that doesn't mean that we're doing it well. I would argue that many of us are doing it quite poorly, uh, but we at least know what good environmental sustainability looks like. We know what to do in terms of energy efficiency, in terms of reducing carbon emissions. Uh, we know what to do in terms of 
uh, renewable energy and increasing renewable energy uptake. So a lot of those environmental factors, we, we know what good look, looks like. Like I said, not necessarily doing it well, but we know what, what good looks like. Similarly, we know generally what good governance looks like. We know processes around uh, around risk management. We know processes around increasing diversity, around decision-making. And, and that all kind of falls into that kind of governance uh, bucket as well. But arguably, over the last 10 years, we've really struggled to understand what good social sustainability looks like. And when we think about good um, social sustainability, that's where well really kind of fits in. What we're really trying to provide is an evidence-based framework for dealing with issues around health, well-being, equity, diversity, all of the key components to what social sustainability is all about. So rather than having this black box of social sustainability, we're actually trying to create some clarity, particularly for, for, for markets, to understand, well, this organisation is, is doing social sustainability well, and this organization is doing social sustainability um, or it needs improvement around some of these metrics. And what we're really trying to do is we're trying to measure and report on a lot of these metrics focused on, on human and social capital. So there's also a lot of discussion within that framework around green buildings or high performance buildings. What is IWBI's definition of a high performance building? It's a really interesting question because it's something that has been really fundamental to the work that we've been doing really since the well building standard came into existence. What we're really trying to do is we're trying to verify, we're trying to um, create spaces that advance health and well-being, uh, and we're trying to do this around the world. We have, as part of our certification process, an aspect called performance verification. And what performance verification uh, is, is basically verifying that uh intentions are being met. So often when we think about our buildings, they're designed and they're constructed with the very best of intentions. Nobody goes out to design a poor performing building. But ultimately, somewhere along the line, often the performance of that building is compromised. So when we think about what a high performance building actually is, it's one that is actually measured. It's a cliche, but it's a cliche, I think, for a reason, but you can't manage what you don't measure. And ultimately, as an industry, I think we have been failing in this regard. We really understand how energy is used across our buildings. But do we really understand the indoor air quality of those buildings? Do we know the thermal comfort, the acoustics, the lighting of these buildings? I, I would argue that many of us don't. And that's despite many of the industry actually claiming that they have a high-performance building. A high-performance building is something that means more than just energy efficiency. It means more than just water efficiency. It's a holistic view of the performance of that building and indoor environment quality factors actually come into that as well. The other key component around a high performance building, in our opinion, is actually asking the occupants what they think about the space and what they think about the building. And this might seem very, very obvious, but ultimately it's something that we don't do. We don't do it particularly well. You build a building, you hand it over, and that's it. Ask people what they think about the building. Are you satisfied with the air quality within your building? Are you satisfied with the thermal comfort? We know that thermal comfort and acoustics are sources of huge dissatisfaction within occupant communities. So do we really understand these aspects of a high-performance building? 
And do we really understand what people actually think about their buildings? I think that's a really important question to try to answer. I would definitely agree. So when it comes to those considerations in a high performance building, what are the actual benefits of measuring those and what are the benefits to the occupants of a high performance building? Yeah, I think that there's a significant benefit for building owners and facility managers around understanding how their building is performing from a people, from a occupant satisfaction perspective. Uh, Organisations, as I mentioned previously, they can't manage what they don't measure. And by understanding where they are putting their efforts in relation to a lot of these interventions, they can actually optimise the way that they manage their buildings and manage their spaces. There are a huge range of benefits associated with this approach. We know that occupants' satisfaction around some of these metrics has a direct impact on their health, their well-being, their engagement, and even the productivity. Ultimately, we know that for the occupants, there's a huge uh, amount of benefits associated with addressing some of these issues. Occupant satisfaction in relation to indoor environment quality metrics has been linked to better health and wellbeing outcomes. It's been linked to better productivity and performance outcomes. And it's also been linked to better outcomes as it relates to engagement uh, between an occupant or a person and their engagement uh, with the organisation. So this has also implications around attraction and retention of talent. IWBI's Well Performance Rating, uh, which is a relatively new rating, helps to address these benefits. Essentially, what we're trying to do is focus on measurable building performance strategies that are verified through either on-site testing or sensor technology. So it's really about empowering organizations, empowering facility managers to make the best choices in terms of how they actually influence the spaces that they manage. You mentioned earlier that Australia is leading the way when it comes to high performance buildings and other IWBI indicators. Across ANZ, when you think about the definition of high performance buildings, where are we placed in terms of delivering on these? So I think the Australian market is actually doing a really good job in this regard. The Australian market is is very unique as it relates to, to this healthy buildings and healthy uh, organisation movement. Even though we're a relatively small market, Um, no other market in the world can compete with the level of market saturation associated with engagement of well programs. Other markets have more projects, they have more square meterage covered, but no other market can compete with uh, our level of market saturation. We expect that around 25% of all commercial office space in Australia is engaged in a well program. Uh, not new developments, all commercial office space. Now, that level of market saturation is not seen anywhere else in the world. It's an indicator that we really prioritise the health and well-being of our occupants in the design and the operations of our buildings. Um, and that's what high performance is all about. We understand that this is an important topic and we prioritise that through our operations. What are the drivers in the Australian marketplace that produce that result? I think the Australian market is quite unique and it's something that I, that very question is something that I think about a lot. The Australian property industry is an incredibly competitive industry. We are a competitive kind of of country, but it's more than just being competitive that drives this kind of market uptake. It's also about being collaborative. So something that's very unique about Australia is that we're competitive, but we love to tell everybody about what we're doing. 
So when we actually engage in a particular initiative, whether or not that be well certification or energy efficiency, we like to tell the industry about it. So that is very, very unique because when we look at market transformation and getting that, that kind of uptake of a particular program, it's all well and good to be competitive, but if you're not talking about it, that's not going to drive market transformation. So we have a very collaborative industry that is able to share the successes and also able to share their, their failures so that we are actually able to move very, very quickly. The other aspect of it, I think, is we really embrace the concept of health and well-being across our communities and across uh, our families. I think the last couple of years of the global pandemic has really shone a light on that. This, this concept that we're they're willing to come together and, and really deliver on something. And I think that this is what's driving that market uptake in the Australian market as well. It's this recognition that health and well-being is really important to our people. So if we can focus on high-performing buildings that are going to deliver health and well-being outcomes, that's really going to be something that is going to have wide-ranging benefits, not just for the individual, but for our organisations and for our society as a whole. The final thing that I would say about why the Australian market has had such significant uptake is that we lead the world in ESG and we want to continue to lead the world in ESG. We're an innovative country. The rest of the world looks to us in terms of what high performance looks like. So we, we should continue to embrace that. That's so great to hear. So how is IWBI sharing the success of the Australian marketplace to drive these outcomes elsewhere? That's a great question. It's actually probably probably the most enjoyable part of my my role and my job at IWBI. I often say that I've got the best job in the world because I get to travel the world and see some of the best buildings and see some of the best organizations implementing health, well-being, diversity and equity globally. But equally, I get to share the stories of the Australian market and really drive market transformation in other parts of the world as well. Really good example of this, I think, is some of the work that we've been doing uh, with organisations around domestic violence support and education as a, as a rating tool that's focused on, uh, on social sustainability and equity. We recognise that, that domestic violence is a workplace issue. A lot of the, the leading work around domestic violence education and support has actually come out of Australia. So we were working with an organisation in Australia that was pursuing well certification and had a really innovative uh, approach to their domestic violence policy and, and their support system. We took that and now it's embedded within the well building standard and organisations all over the world can implement that domestic violence education and support system. So that's one way that we kind of take the success, we take the stories of Australia and we actually enable other projects all over the world to take inspiration from that. I really love to hear that. That's a great story. And the definition of sustainability has certainly changed over time, hasn't it? It definitely has. Uh, it's something that has certainly changed even over the last kind of 10 or 15 years that I've been part of this industry. One thing as an industry that we need to get better at is to communicate sustainability in a more holistic sense. What I mean by that is that we need to think about communicating sustainability more than just environmental sustainability, but really a focus on holistic sustainability. Uh, 
it, it, it's really in line with a lot of the conversations around ESG as well. And we actually often say that we're experiencing what we consider to be a second wave of sustainability. In the first wave of sustainability, it was really about minimization. So how can you do less? How can you use less um, to, to minimize your impact on the environment? With this second wave of sustainability, it's really around regenerative uh, thinking, regenerative design. How can we actually make our environment, how can we actually help our people and our communities thrive? So really using this concept of sustainability is a form of regenerative thinking. Social sustainability in particular is really about how we can improve the lives of people and having a focus on, on people and their health, their well-being, and how they feel in the world and how they feel within spaces. This is something that's really important to us at IWBI. It's, it's important that when we think about sustainability and we think about the sustainability movement, we really emphasise the role of people within this movement. We really understand that people have a role in sustainability. And it's more than that. It's making sure that as part of the work that we need to do in sustainability, that nobody's left behind. And this is where I think equity becomes such an important part in the sustainability conversation as well. We need to ensure that as part of the transition that we have to see across our society from an environmental, from a social perspective, that people aren't left behind. And that means that we need to deliver buildings, we need to deliver spaces, we need to, we need to empower organisations that support the needs of all people and to make sure that everybody feels welcome within a space or within a building or within an organisation. Are you looking for a digitalisation and net zero partner to help you achieve your goals? Join the thousands of AEC and manufacturing customers globally who have turned to VinZero to start their journey toward a net zero future. With 32 offices around the world, VinZero can connect you to the right technologies and workflow processes so you can maintain your competitive position and increase profitability. VinZero has an industry expert to help you navigate the best pathway forward wherever you are on your digitalisation and net zero journey. Visit VinZero.com to find out more. So people really are driving change around the world on a number of issues currently. So with all the advantages of a high performance buildings, what needs to be done to accelerate the uptake of these types of performance ratings, do you think? So I think that we need to communicate things in a slightly different way. I actually think we have a lot of the technology, we have a lot of the scientific expertise. Um, we know essentially what to do, but I think that we sometimes have a marketing or a messaging problem. And this, this narrative needs to evolve and it needs to change. One example that I often like to give is uh, in, in a previous role, um, I was working for a sustainability authority within state government. And we used to do a lot of research around what people thought and felt around sustainability. Essentially, we asked uh, our community uh, as part of a social research study uh, if they think that taking action on climate change is important. And we found that over 90% of the Victorian community uh, thought that taking action on climate change was important. When we followed up with them and asked them, 
are they willing to pay to take action on climate change? Less than about a third actually said that they were willing to pay to take action on climate change. When we asked them about the health and well-being of their families, of their communities, of society in general, they said that obviously it's important. And when we asked them if they were willing to pay more for that, almost 90% of them said that they were willing to pay more. Ultimately, we as a community, particularly here in Australia, we're not making the connection between environmental sustainability, taking action on climate change, and the health and well-being of our communities and of our people. So what we need to really do is we need to consider that these, these concepts are inextricably linked. What our buildings, what our industry, what our organisations exhale in terms of emissions, we inhale as people. And that's what we really need to be thinking about in terms of in terms of this conversation. Ultimately, we need to remember that the primary purpose of HVAC systems is usually to improve the environmental conditions for the building users. So we provide uh, outdoor air, which com combats the buildup of uh, contaminants like carbon dioxide, like volatile organic compounds, um, which at high levels can actually cause sick building syndrome. So this idea of people being in a building and actually feeling we also have things like particulate filters that can remove much of the pollution from traffic or, or bushfires before it's actually introduced indoors. Um, but we need to recognise that HVAC systems, they account for a large percentage of the emissions that are used within our building. Um, and they're actually a huge contributor to global emissions generally. So as building owners and as facility managers, we need to really get that balance right. We need to understand that HVAC systems are there to improve the environmental conditions of occupants, but they also are taking a huge amount of energy. So we need to get that balance right so that we're actually impacting both the occupants in a positive way without detracting from the environmental imperative that we have uh, as an industry as well. One thing that I would say in relation to HVAC is that we need to be thinking about increasing the ventilation within our spaces more broadly uh, as an industry. Something that the Harvard School of Public Health often say is that we are underventilating our spaces. Uh, and, and that actually has a huge impact, particularly as it relates to a global pandemic. We know that transmission of COVID-19 generally takes place indoors. And we know that that generally takes place in poorly ventilated spaces. So if we need to combat transmission, we need to be thinking about ventilation within our spaces. So when it comes to HVAC, how can we actually rate performance? Yeah, I think ultimately the first thing that we need to do is really ask the occupants what they think of the space. So really asking them for their opinions on the satisfaction around the indoor air quality or the thermal comfort that they're experiencing within a space. The other thing to also recognise is that we can rate performance by actually looking at the amount of contaminants that are within that space as well. So measuring things like carbon dioxide, like volatile organic compounds, like particulate matter. This is one way that we can really rate performance. We, at IWBI, we use the Well Performance Rating to really take all of this information, provide 
thresholds around what we should be looking for in relation to some of these contaminants and some of this some of these satisfaction levels and then we provide a rating to organizations to say yes you are meeting these thresholds or no you need to improve your performance around some of these things so ultimately we need to be asking some of these questions we need to be actually measuring some of these parameters for us to really understand how we actually rate the performance of HVAC. So how then can high performance buildings change health outcomes for their occupants and change outcomes for owners at the same time? So high performance buildings ultimately lead to healthier people. Uh, We know that the physical and social environment is the number one determinant of our health and well-being. So the amount of time that we spend within buildings has a huge impact on our health and well-being. The average Australian, as an example, lives to about 84 years. 74 years of that average Australian's life we spent indoors. So we actually spend a stack of time indoors and the the physical and social environment being the number one determinant of our health. It means that if your building is performing well, it will have a huge impact on your health and well-being. When we think about health and well-being, we can't just think about health and well-being from a physical health perspective. Often when we think about health and well-being, we just think about our individual physical health. But when we think about health and well-being, we need to think about our mental health and our uh, social health as well. So the way that we interact with, with uh, the way that we interact in our societies. So healthy buildings and high-performance spaces can actually lead to significant health outcomes as it relates to physical health, social health, and mental health. Another aspect of this is that High-performance buildings can really inspire trust within our community. Ultimately, the last couple of years has has really shown us that uh, buildings can can impact our health and well-being. We've known this for we've, many of us have known this for decades, but it's really been the last couple of years that has really shone a light on this particular topic. And unfortunately, with concepts like indoor air quality, often these are invisible concepts. And what we're really trying to do with a focus on high-performance buildings and healthy buildings is really make the invisible visible. And this is really ultimately leading to a competitive advantage for a number of building owners and a number of organisations. If you can build trust within your buildings, if you can build trust within the workplaces, you have a competitive advantage. You're able to bring people back to the office. You're able to bring people back to the office safely. And you're actually able to have your employees engage with each other in a way that they might not be able to do via Zoom. Um, So in that way, you're actually, you're really building a culture of health across an organization through a focus on your workplace or, or your building. This then, in turn, has significant ESG and corporate social responsibility implications as well. Building owners are doing this because they see their role not just in in recruiting tenants, but they see their role as being partners with their tenants to recruit talent for their tenants. So if you have an amazing building, if you have an amazing workplace, you can recruit a a better tenant and that tenant can actually leverage their workplace to recruit better people as well. So there are a huge number of implications around a a focus on high-performing buildings, around a a focus on on putting health and well-being at the centre of these conversations. 
So there's some really good examples there and you just revealed some staggering statistics around how much time we actually do spend indoors and our average ages, etc. How can you take an existing building and optimise its performance? So the concept of existing buildings is, is, is actually a really important part to this conversation. Often there's an assumption that we can't do much with our existing buildings, that we need to you know, really implement some of these strategies, some of these interventions within our new developments only. But ultimately, when you look at the property industry, only 2% of the property industry is new developments. 98% of the property industry is existing buildings. And it's not good enough to basically say that we don't address this building stock. Um, ultimately, the people that are within these buildings, the health imperative still exists within these buildings as well. And a lot of the things that we can do within these existing buildings are relatively simple. Actually measuring the indoor air quality of the space, actually asking occupants what they think of the space, implementing policies and programs and operational schedules that, that impact people's health and well-being are all things that can be done within existing buildings. A really good example of this in Australia, in my hometown in Melbourne, is 500 Collins Street. Now, 500 Collins Street is a relatively average-looking building. You walk down Collins Street, lots of new, beautiful buildings. You might miss 500 Collins Street. Ultimately, it's about 50 years old. Um, and that building recently achieved World Platinum Certification, the highest level of certification that's available from the International World Building Institute. The reason why that 50-year-old building achieved World Platinum Certification because they actually operate that building very, very well. They know their building. They know the way that it performs. They measure the performance over time. And they really prioritise their tenants and their occupants through every decision that they make within that building. And that's one of the reasons why 500 Collins Street achieved World Platinum Certification. So buildings can have great health and wellbeing outcomes if we prioritise it, and if we realise that this is something that should be applied to all buildings, for all people, and not just for the new buildings or the privileged few. So how does the IWBI process work in principle? So WELL applies the science of how physical and social environments affect human health, well-being, and performance. Uh, essentially, we have a framework or a a roadmap that's backed by the latest scientific research, including over 7,000 citations. And we call this the WELL standard. So the WELL standard basically outlines health interventions across 10 different categories, air, water, nourishment, light, movement, sound, thermal comfort, materials, mind, and community. So the idea of having 10 concepts is often I say you can't have a healthy building or a high performance space that just focuses on air or indoor air quality and does nothing for the mental health of the occupants. You can't have a healthy building or a healthy space that just focuses on acoustics but does nothing for the thermal comfort of the occupants. Ultimately a healthy building is one that encapsulates all aspects of health, well-being and equity and that's a really important uh, part of the IWBI process and well certification. So organisations will gather their documentation 
And they'll basically provide that documentation to IWBI for verification and for third-party review. After we've reviewed that documentation, we'll send out an auditor to measure the actual space. So it's all well and good to say that you've designed for good air quality, that you've designed for good acoustics, but is that design intent actually being met? The independent auditor will come out and will physically test the indoor air quality within the space. And that is what performance verification is all about. After that process, the building or the project will then be awarded well certification. We have four levels of well certification. We've got well certification at the bronze level, at the silver level, at the gold level, or at the platinum level. So the example that I gave before, the 500 Collins Street, they achieved well platinum certification, which is the highest level of certification available from the International Well Building Institute. And how long does the certification process take to play out? So it really depends on the organisation and the building. We've had organisations that have achieved well certification within a couple of months. We've had some organisations that have taken longer to achieve well certification because it's a new development and that new development takes time to, to, to be built and to be developed. Ultimately, at the International Well Building Institute, we have a focus on actual performance. So to actually certify a space, that building needs to exist and needs to be occupied. So what are the metrics used to specifically measure the IWBI performance ratings? So the World Performance Rating specifically helps organisations um, implement best practices for continuous monitoring and performance across key indoor environment quality metrics related to air quality, water quality, thermal comfort, acoustics, lighting and occupant experience. So that occupant experience is the one that I keep raising around actually asking occupants what they think of a space. So all of these uh, metrics essentially result in the World Performance Rating. I get to work with some incredible projects all across the country. One key aspect of the well certification process and also the well performance rating process is this idea of continuous monitoring and to really recognizing that a commitment to health and well-being, a commitment to high performance spaces is not just about a set and forget. It's about asking occupants what they think over time and actually measuring some of these things over time. So through the well process, we actually ask buildings and spaces to provide evidence that they're, that they're maintaining their systems, that they're actually uh, delivering on the design intent on at least an annual basis. We often say at IWBI, you don't go to the gym once and suddenly you're healthy. It's the same concept when we're talking about healthy buildings and high performance spaces. You can't just do this once and consider yourself to be a high performance building. You actually need to embed this within the ongoing operations of your buildings and organisations. I love that comment about the gyms. It's certainly a good analogy. So, Jack, we're coming to the end of our time together on Think Future podcast. Can I ask you when you think future about the role of IWBI and the work you are doing in promoting quality of life in the built environment, what excites you the most? I think the thing that excites me the most is our ability to scale and the concept of market transformation. I love the fact that 10 years ago, when I was having some of these conversations around, around air filtration, they were so far behind where we are as an industry today. 
And I, I, the thing that excites me is in 10 years' time, some of the conversations that are a real struggle today around healthy buildings, around our role, the role of organisations and the role of property as it relates to our health and well-being, I really feel like they're going to be part of, of normal practice in, in 10 years' time. So the thing that really excites me is essentially market transformation, seeing the market transform over time seeing what might be considered as best practice today become business as usual in 10 or 5 or 10 years' time. Uh, that kind of market transformation, building that legacy of continuous improvement, that's the thing that excites me most in the role that I have. Jack, it's been a great conversation. Thanks for joining us. Thanks so much for having me out here. This podcast was brought to you by VinZero. Vinzero help the AEC and manufacturing industries keep pace with digital change and achieve their technological and sustainability leadership goals. Vinzero is a company that cares about creating and building a better world. Together, we are working with industry and environmental experts, providing forums and platforms through our Vinzero Think community to create conversations that matter to our future generations. We invite you to join in the conversation and participate in our Think community. Like and subscribe to Think Future to stay up to date with the latest innovations and conversations as we take AEC and manufacturing around the world closer to zero. You can download our podcasts at vinzero.com or from your favourite podcast platform. From Vinzero Think Future, thanks for listening.